We are going to be in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Um, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and Justin's going to run out and go get Bibles for us out there. And so is Pastor Brett. So if you need a Bible, they will get them for you. Romans chapter 1. So we are embarking through a new series um, called Set Apart for the gospel, and you guys will find out um, why that is the case, uh, why that is the title for this entire series through Romans. Um, If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We have Bibles now. Raise your hand. Nice and high. Awesome. Raise your hand. So we are going through the book, the entire book of Romans, right? We're going through the entire book of Romans, um, and it's called Set Apart for the Gospel. Anybody else need a Bible? Go on once. Thanks, man. No, I'm good. We'll all close our eyes and you raise your hand. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Mark and I are very excited and very nervous to teach this book because it is uh, Martin Luther. um, we, We just did the book of James, right? We just did the book of James with Martin Luther called the gospel of straw. He thought, he thought it was the worst book in the entire Bible. Martin Luther. He thought it was, and, and for those of you that don't know who Martin Luther is, he's the great reformer. Um, he's the one who helped, uh, he helped our, our, you know, the transition between Protestant and, and Catholicism, right? So, so he, he's the one who is um, kind of the founder, not really, there's a lot of people involved, but he's kind of the founder of the Reformation um, and what we know today as modern Christianity. And he said that the book of James was the gospel of straw, meaning that he, he thought that how work-based it was, it, it just kind of blew his mind that it was real, right? He had a really hard time with it. Now, Martin Luther called the book of Romans the gospel of gospels. He, quote, he quoted and he called it the gospel of gospels, where if nobody knows what the gospel is, they need but read the book of Romans, to know the entirety of the gospel. Now, it's mine and Pastor Mark's vision, and the same with Pastor Rob's vision on Sunday mornings, is that uh, the book of Romans would be transformative for every facet of our Christian walk. It's a very, very long book. It's 16 or 17 chapters. 16 chapters. It's 16 chapters. And it is a very extensive book on every single part of the Christian faith. Now, it's not going to speak particularly into every single nook and cranny of your life. However, it is going to broadly graze over every single part of the Christian life. And so that is, that is our vision for this book, is that it would, it would challenge us in every single part of our lives, Right? It would challenge us uh, educationally, it would challenge us professionally, it would challenge us relationally, it would challenge us spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. On every single level, we're hoping that the book of Romans is a challenge. We want it to be a challenge for you. We want to go deeper. It says in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is talking to the church in Jerusalem, and he is essentially saying, listen, we've been feeding you milk too long right? It's time for you to start eating solid food, meat, right? And so book of Romans is meat for us. We're going to learn, we're going to go from children who are just relying on milk to the meat of the word of God. And so without further ado, Romans chapter one, verse one, read along with me. I mean, not out loud, but Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And he declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. 
by the resurrection of the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll pick up the rest of the chapter later, but let's pray. Father, we are aware that um, if you do not speak tonight, we will learn nothing. And so, Lord, we, we, we request for your words. God, I am nervous to teach this book. It is, it is heavy. It is weighty. It is thick. It's going to take us a long time to just get through a couple verses. And, and, and so, Lord, as a teacher, this is intimidating for me, Lord, to go through the book of Romans. I confess that. But Lord, may your Holy Spirit interpret for us and may your Holy Spirit speak into whatever needs we may have individually and collectively. We would ask um, for your Holy Spirit to move and to speak to us and God, to make our hearts unhindered to your gospel, Lord. We love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, Look at this, look at this, verse 1. We're going to spend a lot of time in verse 1, because it's awesome. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. We are going to tear this one apart. Paul is the author here. Now, for those of you who don't know who Paul is, Paul was an apostle appointed by Christ to extend the gospel further than any man, really, in history. Right? He, Paul, Paul had started movements in the early church further than anyone had took it before. Paul was an apostle ordained by God. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? He was a Hebrew. He was a Pharisee, actually, before he came to Christ. He was a Pharisee. He was a part of the religious elite of the day. And nobody, nobody could match Paul in prowess or merit. Nobody. He would, say, he would say so himself. He would say, well, I'm boasting arrogantly, but listen, if anyone has the credentials, it's me, right? He would say that himself. He kept the law well, and he served his country well. He did these things well. Everything that we would consider success, successful in our day and age, Paul was considered successful in his context, Right In the early Jewish context, Paul was incredibly, incredibly successful in the Jewish faith. And Paul actually so successful that he was given a very special task to persecute the upcoming atheists. Atheists is what people would call them, Christians. They would call them Christians, right? The Romans would call them atheists because they only worshiped one God, right? Isn't that funny? Like the, the Romans would actually call Christians atheists because Romans had like a million different gods, right? And, and, and so Paul was actually appointed to persecute Christians, modern day Christians. He was called to persecute Christians. And Paul on his way to go and persecute Christians was visited by the Lord, was visited by Christ. He was knocked off of his feet. He was blinded for a few days. And when the scales were removed from his eyes, so to speak, when the scales were removed from his eyes, when he finally returned his sight, he dedicated his entire life to following Jesus. God spoke to him very specifically and gave him a very specific call. He was called to be an apostle. An apostle simply means one who is sent. One who is sent. 
And Paul was sent to over 15 countries. He planted hundreds of churches and he got to lead thousands to Christ. He got to lead thousands to Christ. It was Paul who would preach and baptize women and children, blue-collar workers, governors, kings, witches, sorcerers, thieves, priests, criminals, soldiers, prostitutes, and the average men of all creeds and all races of the time. Paul would get to preach and baptize to them all. Paul was successful for the kingdom of God. He was successful for the kingdom of God. Paul was the type of man that every person in Christ ought to admire, at least, and strive for. As Paul would say so himself, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul was a good example. He was an excellent example. Yet the secret of his greatness, the secret of his greatness was not the fact that he was called to be an apostle. The secret of his greatness, first and foremost, was what he declared to be of first importance when he says, I, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. A bondservant of Jesus Christ. We see Paul with all this religious prowess and all of these merits and all so many accolades, and what he declared to be the most important was not the fact that he was an apostle, but the fact that he was a bondservant. James, the brother of Jesus, would not introduce himself as, oh, me, Jesus' half-brother, James, but he would say, James, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. This is of first and foremost what the apostles believed to be so and crucial to their identity. Was not that their title, so to speak, but their relationship to Christ as a servant of him, as close to him. Paul is writing to the church in Rome at this point. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, a world much like our own, isn't it? I mean, you guys have studied Rome at least a little bit. Their culture mirrors ours in so many ways, right? If you want to kind of learn like about, all right, where, where's America going, right? From our origins to where we are now, it's very similar to Rome, right? Very, very similar to Rome. Their origins all the way up to their fall as well. Roman American, cult, Roman and American culture is very, very similar. Obviously, huge differences. But their culture was very similar. They lived in an empire. They lived in an empire. They, lived in, they were the most powerful force of their age, right? Much as America is today. They were an empire of wealth, comfortability, innovation, and religion like you've never seen before. They could do religion super super well. In fact, they had, they had a God for everything, right? They had a God for everything. And they had false prophets full of moralistic deism and a feel-good gospel that would, that would kind of cushion people on their way to hell, right? Does that sound like America a little bit? It was all about feeling good, right? Right? Oh, oh, so you're an alcoholic. Well, there's a God for that, right? There's a God for alcoholics, right? Oh, you're lazy. Well, you're, there's a God for laziness, right? And, and do you know what? We, we, you know, we say, oh, that, that's absurd. But do you know what? In our American culture, we tend to warp and twist God to fit any specific lifestyle we choose, don't we? 
That's where the prosperity gospel comes from. We want to be rich. We want to be wealthy. We want to be better. So we kind of morph God into this kind of this Santa Claus type guy. Well, if you're really good, he's going to give you good stuff, right? Or where we have a lot of people that like to live without authority and they like to live any type of sinful lifestyle that they choose. And so they'll take the gospel of grace and, and mean it to say, well, God just wants me to be happy, right? He doesn't really, I mean, I mean, there's grace. He doesn't care about my sin. I mean, that's all, that's all done. He just wants me to be happy, right? And so we kind of cope with what the Romans did at this time, which is with, I don't want to feel guilty for my sin. I want to justify it by using a higher power. So as the Romans did that, so we do today. As the Romans did that with their God, so we do with God. They followed people. They followed people with the best credentials, right? They followed the most educated, right? The most powerful people. The people with the most credentials, the more powerful, the more powerful they were, the more prowess they had, the more education they seemed to have, the more people followed them, right? Doesn't that, that sounds like our culture today too, doesn't it? Right? Whoever has the most degrees, right? The most PhDs. We're, we're just going to listen to someone with a PhD, no matter what comes out, what nonsense comes out of their mouths, right? A lot of you struggle with this in your college courses, don't you? Right? It's like you don't know if you agree with what they say, but man, there's a doctor before their name, right? They must be smart, right? And so it's hard to disagree with them. Much like our culture, the most educated of all of us are leading them to despair. Paul, when dealing with these types of people and these false teachers, especially in the region of Corinth, he said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He said this. Now, I want you to listen closely. It's, it's pretty long. So if you want to turn there to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you can. Otherwise, listen. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts, or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we are too weak for that. So Paul, what Paul is saying is like all of these leaders and all these people that you are listening to, all of, these, all of these companies that are selling you all of these things and telling you how to live your life and telling you what to have, they're brutal with you. And Paul is saying, I wish we were strong enough to be brutal with you, but instead we love you, right? Paul is saying, we're too weak. Us apostles, we are too weak to go and beat you in the face with our gospel. We decide to love you instead, And he says this in verse 21, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. So he's saying, you guys are listening to the people with the most credentials right now. You're listening to the people with the most credentials, the most education. Let me tell you, if we're going to measure up like that, let me tell you about myself, right? So Paul's like, let me tell you about me. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. Yeah. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, 
through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Right, so Paul is saying, like, oh, you know, all right, so we'll, what do we do? What do we do? When, when, when people are asking you how you're doing, I'm, I'm the most guilty of this out of all of you, so don't worry. People ask you, how are you? You say, busy. <laughs> Man, stressed, right? Because it denotes importance, doesn't it? It means you have a busy schedule. People need you, right? right? So we say that because we want to feel important. How are you? Busy. Right? So Paul is saying, all right, if we're going to decide who's most important here and who's most busy, right, it's me, Paul. Countless shipwrecks. Count, I was, I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I have all the burdens of the churches on my shoulders. And then he says right here, who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. He says this in verse 30, if I must boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Paul speaks to all of us here. Paul speaks to all of us here when he's introducing himself as a bondservant of Jesus. He says, whatever may be great about me, whatever is good about me, Paul the Apostle, lies within how weak I am and how Christ uses me. Not all of us can identify with strength, right? That's something that only a few can identify with because many people feel hopeless and helpless. Only very few people feel like they're totally in charge of everything, right? And Paul is here relating to us and saying, listen, whatever I have to boast of It's in my weakness. So whatever you may have, whatever baggage, whatever issues you may have, we boast in the things that are weak because Jesus is made strong in them. We are made made strong when Jesus is most prevalent in our lives. Whatever I may boast, I boast in my weakness only. And he says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Paul was called a slave to Christ before he was an apostle of Christ. Guys notice that? He was called to be a slave of Christ before he was called to be an apostle of Christ. He was bound to Jesus. He was bound to Jesus. You know, we're all so desperate, so desperate for the will of God, aren't we? We're so desperate to hear what he wants. And sometimes it's so hard to figure out what he wants that we just kind of end up doing our own thing. And if it doesn't work out, well, I guess that wasn't God's will. But how am I supposed to know in the first place, right? We're all so desperate to know the will of God, knowing his purpose for our lives. And sometimes it seems so abstract that we don't even try anymore, you know? We're just going to do the best we can, right? Just going to do the best we can. If we are bound to Christ, though, if we are his bond servants, chained to him as slaves, away from the chains that have shackled us in sin and in death, but have chained ourselves to the living God, we will be close enough to him to know his will. 
It is a matter of shackling ourselves to him, meaning surrendering everything to his will, which means we give up our will. We give up our plans, as we talked about a few weeks ago, giving up our plans for the sake of binding ourselves to Christ. And wherever he goes, we follow. Meaning that we're servants first and we're serving his people first and we're listening to his commands first and then we're asking questions later about, all right, who do I marry? What's my career going to be, right? That's secondary to, I'm a bondservant of Christ. I am serving him. I am bound to him. Meaning I may have this job, I may have this calling, I may have this vocation, but one thing that will never change is that I'm bound to God. I'm bound to him. I am chained to him. I'm a bondservant of who he is. I love how Paul did not mix up what he did with who he was. Something that is hard in our culture, isn't it? Isn't that hard? He is a servant of God. And apostleship was his vocation and what God had called him to do. Guys, that's the culture we live in, right? First time you introduce yourself to somebody, what's the first thing that they ask you? What do you do, right? So what do you do? What's your major, right? What are you studying? That's the first thing. And some of you are like, I don't know what I do and I don't know what my major is, right? But the first thing people usually ask us has to do with what we do, with what we're studying or what we're pursuing, right? It's never like, hey, who are you? Because that's too, that's too like, nebulous of a question, right? That's, just, that's too crazy to think about. But I love how Paul didn't mix up his identity with his calling. Now, the two mix and intermingle beautifully, but he, know, he knew who he was, which then affected what he did. There's a difference. The Bible differentiates always who we are and what we do. Because it is out of who we are, our actions flow. Who are we? The Bible declares that we are loved, so we love others. We are called, so we walk in our calling. We are set apart, so we walk uprightly. We are holy, so we are thankful. We are spotless, so we ask for cleansing. We are justified, so we walk with confidence. We are made in God's image, so we are to reflect his glory. We are protected by his grace. Therefore, we walk without fear, and we are sought after by God. Therefore, we seek after Christ. So who God declares us to be ultimately affects what we do. So God declares, Paul, you are my servant, Paul. And so Paul ends up saying, so whatever you need. And at some parts in Paul's life, that meant, hey, you're supposed to preach in the synagogues. And then at some parts, it meant, hey, you're supposed to go preach to the Gentiles. And at some parts, it meant, hey, you're supposed to just make tents right now. That's what it was for Paul. And so, like, listen, if his entire identity was in the fact that he preached in the synagogues, that was his thing, The minute God tried to tell him otherwise, he wouldn't listen, right? Because his identity was wrapped up in what he did and not who he was. So it is, it is very, it is of the utmost importance, no matter what you're studying in school, no matter what your vocation is, for however many years you have done, it is important that you identify yourself with how God declares you to be. That way, if he asks you to do something else, your identity won't be shattered. If he asks you to change your major, if he asks you to switch schools, if he asks you to switch jobs, if he asks you to go to this person instead of this person, you're going to be okay with that because it's not your identity, right? Who you are is who you are. And what you do is birthed from what God has declared you to do, right? 
And so he says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. So we know that he's a bondservant of Christ. We know that the apostleship was his calling and his vocation, what he was meant to do. And then we see that he is separated to the gospel of God. This is really cool. So I want you to listen up. This is awesome. This is so cool. The word separated. The word separated in Greek is aporiso. Aporiso. Don't expect you to remember that, right? Aparizo, I have to check every single time I say it. Aparizo is the word where we get separated. In the word aparizo is where we get the English word horizon. Where you're looking upon the vast mountains or when you're looking upon the seas and you see a horizon ahead of you. That's where we get the word. Aparizo, which means off of your horizon. Another horizon. Aporiso. Another horizon. As I get older, and as we get older, our horizons begin to change, don't they? Right? When you're a wee little lad, right? Nino or nina, right? Just super small. What's your horizon but like sticks and grass and bugs, you know? Like that is all you can see when you're two feet tall, right? When you're two feet tall, that is your horizon. That is what you can see. That is what is in front of you, right? When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I walked as a child, right? So see, when, when you're a little one, you're so obsessed with mud and bugs and all of these things because they're at your eye level, right? They're there already. You don't have to like climb anything to get to it, right? They're just there, right? So little kids are obsessed with what is their size, right? They're obsessed with what's on the ground, their horizon. All that they can see is only like two feet, right? It's so small. I was at the Glesney's house the other day and they have this little newborn, little Maisie, right? So cute. And I was like waving to her and Mark's like, dude, like oh, she can only see like a foot in front of her right now, right? Like, and so it's like a, a newborn, their horizon is literally just like, a, like this, like what they can see, how frustrating that might be, right? But, but that's their horizon. That's their horizon, when I grew up, uh, you know, we grew up um, at, in Carpinteria, California, n- near the beach. And so when, when, I, w- when I was younger, I, I would get to like climb on these rocks or there was this sand hill that my dad would take me to. And, and I, my horizon would, would start to get bigger, right? As I got older, as I got able to climb the rocks, my, my horizon started to expand, right? I had a new horizon. It was no longer grass and mud and twigs and sticks, right? I, I had a new horizon. Which is I, I, I got to see boats, right? I got to see surfers, you know, that were surfing. I got to see, I got to see people, right? As, as I climbed these rocks. Our family used to own a, a, a small little sailboat and we, we, every once in a while we'd go to the islands. And when I was on the boat, and, you know, the vastness of the ocean, all of a sudden my horizon expanded even more. See, miles and miles and miles surrounding you. The horizon grows bigger and bigger. And as the horizon grows bigger, what also grows bigger? The beauty. The beauty grows more vast and amazing. And now recently, you know, Megan and I, have been, we've been getting into backpacking. And, and we went with Ryan and Jeanette recently. We went up into the mountains near Jenny Lakes. And we got to go to the top of these mountains where the horizon was 
far, far greater than anything I could have in a sailboat or have on the rocks at the beach or in the grass and the mud. All of a sudden, the horizon was thousands of miles surrounding us. If you've ever gone to the top of Boney right here in Newberry Park, some of you have done that. The horizon is vast. As I've gotten older, my horizon has changed. And when Paul says that I am separated to the gospel of God, it means, it means that God has placed him from the twigs and the mud of what his old worldview was and taken him to greater heights. Taken him to far more than he could ever imagine because when you're a little kid, you can never imagine such beauty as it is in the mountains surrounded, the snow caps and the lakes and the trees and the skies. You can never imagine that when you're just a little kid. But when someone picks you up and takes you there, when you're finally able to go to greater heights, you, can ne- you never had imagined that before. And so when it says we are separated to the gospel of God, it doesn't mean that God has stripped us away from everything and kept us from things that we hold dear. It means that he has taken us to new levels with him. We are separated to the gospel of God, meaning we are separated to God, not separated from anything. Because you would never say, ah, oh, you know, I, I kind of like the mud and the sticks, you know. And, and you, you would never say that taking a kid to a sailboat is stripping him away from the mud, right? You never say, oh, what a cruel parent, right? You, know, you never say, what a cruel parent taking him away from his backyard to take him to the beach, right? You never say that because though the child may not want to leave his backyard, he has no idea what's in store for him at the beach, we would, never, we would never say that we're separated from anything. I mean, I, I think about it this way. I'm marrying Megan in a few months. Megan and I are getting married in a few months. You, you can never tell me that I, I'm being separated from anything. She is not taking me by the neck and, and you know, just like stripping me away from all I hold dear, right? She's not taking me from anything. I'm being separated to marriage with her. Does that make sense? So, so it's not this, oh man, single life is over, man, right? Oh, ball and chain. It's not like that, right? It's not, I'm not being separated from anything. I'm being separated to her. In the same sense, guys, in the same sense, you're not being separated from the world. You're not being separated from sin. God's not tearing you away from all that you hold dear. He's picking you up and separating you to greater things. Separating you to the gospel. To a life with him. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse, one of my favorite commentators, um, modern commentators, he said this, the true Christian never has to give up anything. Some of you are like, (laughs) right? That's stupid. (laughs) That's not true. Listen, listen to him. He says, the true Christian never has to give up anything, but there are a lot of things that will give him up. They will go one by one. There will be no grief. I mean, there's some things that obviously, man, I got to drop that, right? I got to drop that. But what Barnhouse is trying to say here, guys, what Barnhouse is trying to say is that God is not trying to strip you away from anything. 
strip you away from your sin. He's bringing you to him. He's bringing you near to the gospel. There's greater things. There's no loss we experience from stopping sinning and gaining Christ. There's no loss experience. Now he does say, whoever wishes to be my disciple must pick up his cross and follow me, right? We are to give up possessions. We are to give up lifestyles, but it's not just giving them up. You know what I mean? There are two different types of Christians, two different types of Christians. There's the Christians that have given everything up, but have gained nothing, right? Those are the bitter Christians, right? They're just bitter people because they've given up their entire sinful lifestyle, right? But they haven't picked up anything, right? They haven't picked up a good one, right? They're just kind of sitting there, just trying not to do anything bad, right? It's a boring, depressing life that they live, just really trying hard not to sin. Then there's other Christians who, who have decided to take upon the yoke of Jesus and follow him wherever he may go. And in the meantime, in the meantime, as it says in Hebrews 12, that, that they are just giving up their baggage so that they can run faster towards the new horizon, right? So sin is not, oh man, I just, I really love this, but I really love this. Oh man, like a toss up. It's look how amazing this horizon is. I can't, I can't be carrying this stuff. It's not going to fit up there. It doesn't belong up there. As Colossians says, putting on the new man. St. Augustine himself said to abstain from sin when one can no longer sin is to be forsaken by sin, not to forsake it. Meaning sin gives you up. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right? We give up sin, sin gives up us. Can no longer exist in the life that is on this new horizon that is separated to the gospel of God. Sin, insecurity, selfishness, it's all just baggage. Baggage that doesn't belong on this new horizon that God has for us. Romans 1, in verse 2 now, so now we finally get to the next verses, right? <laughs> says this, which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Among whom, listen to this, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. You were called of Jesus Christ. It was, it was super interesting. In 2 Samuel, you know, David is, um, he's pacing. He's restless, King David and he calls up Nathan, a prophet. He calls up Nathan. And Nathan's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And David says this. He says, Nathan, I live in this beautiful palace. I live in this beautiful palace with servants, I, it, with gold everywhere, riches, food beyond imagine. I'm, I'm just a man, right? Everything that I have, God has given to me. I don't deserve any of this. 
David explains to Nathan, why, why is it that I get to live in this palace, but people still go to worship God in a tent? Right? David said, well, why do I, why am I here in this palace and God is being worshiped in a tent still? And Nathan says, dude, build a temple, right? And then, and then, and then, Nathan goes and he talks to God and God says, no, Nathan, David can't build the temple. He's a man of war. His hands have been stained by too much blood, right? There's too much blood on his hands. He's killed too many people. He can't build me a temple. But through David's descendants, all people will know my name, right? And so when Nathan delivered this information to David, David was no longer disappointed. What? I can't build my temple? No fair, right? But David rejoiced in the Lord and there was this beautiful time of silence because I believe in that time, David understood that the Messiah was going to be near. Solomon would go later on to build a temple, but what none of them knew at the time was that Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, a descendant of David, would come in the flesh. He would be the son of God. And he would have the power of the Holy Spirit according to holiness. And he would resurrect from the dead. And that he would give grace and apostleship to all the nations. What David didn't understand then, when he wanted to build a temple for God, what he didn't realize is that out of his seed, Jesus Christ would come and make it so that we are all temples of the Holy Spirit. We are all temples of God. New horizons set apart for the gospel. So David won a beautiful place for God to be set apart in. He wanted people to have a place to worship him. He wanted a place that was set apart, that was separated for him. And little did he know, thousands of years later, that we would be the ones that were set apart for him. That he would set us apart, that he would build in us a temple in which he could dwell. And that holiness, holiness now is about being the indwelling place of the Holy Spirit as we learn in 2 Corinthians. In Romans chapter 1, as we go later on, we're going to skip down to verse 21, if you're still there, if you're still following along. Verse 21. Because although they knew God, he's talking about the generation he's in and the generation that we're in too. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Guys, in, in, in our minds, in our feeble minds, I think the struggle for us is, I think the struggle for us is living within our own horizon. 
We can only see so far as a kid does with mud and sticks, right? It was C.S. Lewis who said, we liken ourselves to children who are content to play in mud. All the while there's a ship waiting to set them sail at sea. That we're like, no, no, we're good here, right? We're good here, sitting in our backyard in the mud. All the while there's these amazing things out there for us, the horizon." This new horizon being set apart to the gospel of God. And what he's saying here is that we're struggling. And then we struggle with this because we worship the creation instead of the creator. We worship the creation instead of the creator. When we see the beauty around us, when we, when we see relationships form, when we, when we interact with people, when, we, when we're doing all these things, we worship them and we worship those things instead of the God who gave it to us. And it says that in our own minds, we have exchanged this glory. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, buried their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. Right, that's, that's a homosexuality verse. And I, I'm, I'm not going to get all gnarly on you, but, but essentially they're taking, oh, God's created marriage. But we kind of just like sex more. Right? So we're just going to do whatever we want with it. Right? God's, God's set apart this amazing thing, but we don't worship the creator. We worship the creation, right? So, yeah, sex isn't about God. It's about us. So, whoever with whatever. Yeah. We worship the creation instead of the creator. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them all over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whispers, which is gossipers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud. No, I know none of you are proud, so you could just put that one out. Boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Also, you don't struggle with that. You're good. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things were deserving of death, not only to do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So guys, so guys, this is just a long laundry list of sins that are meant to encapsulate all of us, right? So this isn't like, this isn't, (laughs) this isn't like, all right, we got to demonize this and this and this and this. Paul is making a statement here. He's saying, guess what? The people who can't receive the kingdom of God, the people who can't be brought to this horizon on their own, the people who can't climb the hill, so to speak, right? People who can't hike up there themselves uh, are the ones who lie, right? The ones who cause strife, the ones who are proud, right? Sexually immoral, right? Inventors of evil things. I don't even know what that means, right? Facebook, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, right? Untrustworthy, right? All of these things, right? And so what it's, what it's meant to do is encapsulate all, all of us, right? Because if you don't struggle with like sorcery, right? You might struggle with pride, right? Does that make sense? So it's not meant, it's not meant to say, all right, here's the list of people we don't let into heaven, right? It's meant to say, it's meant to say all people who practice these and then 
It says, approve of those who practice them. So all people who practice these and also say, that's ah, fine if they do those. All those people are unfit to inherit the kingdom of God. Unfit. And what's awesome, and I'll close here. What's awesome, guys, is that all of us are clumped under this. All of us are unworthy. All of us are unworthy to receive the kingdom. All of us are either untrustworthy, unloving, or unmerciful. Disobedient to parents or proud. And do you know what? They're all symptoms from a heart that worships created things instead of the creator. What's amazing is that we could stray so far from the character of God, yet the character of God always draws so much closer to us. What's, what's so incredible to me What's so incredible to me is I can try my very best to go back to the things which made me childish. I can try so bad to go back to the mud, go back to the leaves and the sticks. I can go back to the view of like this two foot view, this narrow mindedness. I can go back to these things, but God is always right there picking me up and placing me where I'm supposed to be. And it all goes back to what Paul said is that I'm a bond servant to Christ. I am bound to him. I am bound to him, which means if I am bound to the cross, right? If I am bound to Jesus, no matter how much I try and stray away from him to go back to my carnal things, to go back to the pride and the lust and the deceit, no matter how much I try, I am chained to him. I am bound to him. I'm going to stay with him. No matter how much I try to leave, I, I, I am, I'm going to be bound to him. I'm going to be a slave to Christ. And I don't want this to mean like we don't have any escape. Right? Like, oh man, I'm, I'm stuck in this forever. No, it's, it's not like that because if we stopped looking back at all of the sins that we want and just looked at where Jesus is taking us, we wouldn't look back again. if we just stopped looking at the past, if we just stopped looking at all those sins that used to hold us before we knew Christ, if we just stopped looking at it and just saw what Christ has in the future for us, I truly believe it would be so much better for us. It'd be so much easier. It'd be so much, it'd be so much more filled with peace. Less struggle. Now, Christ is going to take you places where you don't want to go, and Christ is going to take you places that may seem scary, but it's all for the sake of new horizons, set apart, separated to the gospel of God. Being with God is not exchanging everything you love for a life of obeying rules, going to church, and then dying, (laughs) right? It's worshiping the creator rather than the creation and finding new horizons finding what it means to be separated to the gospel of God. That no matter how much we would stray, that that the blood of Christ would cover us. And as we worship and as we take communion, guys, I, I, I want us to keep this on the forefront of our minds, guys. That it says that God gave them up to vile passions, right? That God's just like, do you know what? I'm gonna let you do your thing. But for those that are bound to Christ, those who are bound to Christ, here's the beautiful thing. 
those who are bond servants of Christ, if they try to stray away, God's saying, I, I, I'm, I'm not giving you up. You have my son's blood. You, you have my son's identity. There's no way I'm giving you up. And so on your way to these new horizons and as, as you're navigating the gospel of God and as you're navigating what, what the gospel means for your life and as, as you're discovering where your calling is, what you're supposed to be doing, I need you, I need you, dear brother and sister, to always remind yourselves, always be reminded by the Holy Scriptures that as long as you are bound to Christ, no one can hurt you. For if God is for us, who can be against us? It may be hard, it may be difficult, It may be filled with things that we didn't expect and dangers and fears and anxieties. But God is here constantly separating you to himself. Amen? Lord, we, uh, we desire you tonight. God, we, we desire to know you deeper. And I pray that we would continually allow ourselves to be taken to new horizons with you set apart to the gospel of God, that we, that we no longer be looking, as C.S. Lewis says, that we no longer be content with playing in the mud, but instead we would go on to new adventures with you. I pray that we would not mistake what we do with who we are and who we are with what we do. We understand that we are loved. That's why we love others. God, that you have sacrificed everything for us. That is why we sacrifice for others that we are called by your name. That is why we are to walk in your calling. So Father, I pray that as we're figuring out who we are and where we're going and working out our identities, Lord, that we would constantly be reminded that you are taking us to new places. You are taking us to new heights. By the power of the Holy Spirit, show us what that means for our lives individually. Because collectively, it may seem abstract, but individually, you have specific plans, specific purposes. We pray that that would be carried out in your name. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you, and we give you this time of worship. May it be sweet aroma to you. We love you, Christ, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.